Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. For several weeks now, I forget even how many we've been speaking on the title or the subject of living life to the fullest. And again, that purpose or the objective behind this lesson plan, this conversation that you and I have been having is to encourage us to do the things, to embrace and emulate those principles that we have been given by God into our lives that will better allow us to be successful in our walk with God. I can't teach you too much about your business. I don't know your business, but I can teach you about the business of God. And just like you desire to be successful in anything and everything you do beyond the walls of this building, so God wants you to be successful in, his walk, in your walk with Him. And that's what we've been learning uh, about. And this is what we've been conversing about over the past several, probably now five weeks or so. I'm going to give you a quick recap of what we have since studied. If you have it in your notes, you'll, you'll see me just mention them in passing. And we're going to get to what we want to speak to you about this morning. Our scripture, our principal scripture, comes out of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 and on. And here we have the apostle giving us, again, very important principles that we should add to our walk, our faith in God. The first thing we spoke about was to add to our faith virtue, which is we have defined as holy living. To do everything we can to live a life that is nurturing to the holiness of God. That will allow the Lord to freely handle us and move with us. Not to live the lives outside of the will of God. But to embrace virtue and holiness. The second thing we spoke about and we've been talking about since. Has been to adding to virtue knowledge. Now there are several subtopics in this particular principle. And we're going to continue here on the subject of knowledge. The first thing we learned about concerning knowledge, adding knowledge to our virtue, is the knowledge of God's Word. Of how important it is for us not only to come and wait for pastor to preach to you for 45 minutes on Sunday morning, but to take time during the day to get into the Word that God might, by His Holy Spirit, instruct you in the ways you should live your life. Can't be depending on radio broadcasts. Can't be depending on books you run into every now and then in some library. You can't can't uh, uh, depend on the uh, on the just the viral conversations that might be going on in our society. You've got to get into God's word. How many of, of us are learning how to read God's word? It's okay. You can admit it. We all have to learn. But some of us, sometimes we don't really want to learn. We're just going to wait to see what pastor says about it. But what if I'm wrong? I know it's not very popular for a pastor to say that. I want you to believe that I'm right. But what if? The Bible instructs us to test every spirit. Amen? I could be sitting here and being the best orator in the world, the best poet, and scratch your itch. And I've got everybody following me. But what if I'm wrong? You're allowing me to speak as you allow anybody who you sit down to listen to when it comes to the Word of God to speak into your soul. You're allowing your children to sit in pews in front of teachers without even knowing what they teach. And even though you may sit in a pew, 
It's everything pastor says, but nothing you really know. I know that the Bible somewhere says, where? I don't know, but I heard it says, it's not good enough. It's not good. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the training ground. If you're looking for the nursery, you have people that are very able to take care of you in the nursery. But this is a training ground. You are soldiers of Christ. We are out here to do a job for the Lord, to live in the midst of the enemy. I'm telling you, we could stay here again, but we're not. The second thing is to be knowledgeable of the return of the Lord. To always have it deep in your mind and heart that you know that at any moment the Lord could return. He could come for us, as I've mentioned before. I may not finish this sermon. You may not get to make it all the way home. You may not blink the next eye blink. The Lord could come. But how is that? How do you know he won't? The disciple we know in the book of Acts asked him when he would come. He said, I don't know. There are certain things that Christ doesn't know. And that's about his return. He said, only the Father knows. He's the one that's holding the, the watch. He'll let me know. Whenever I'm here, it's because he sent me. You know, Jesus said this in obedience. He said, you know, you know why the Father never leaves me? Because I always do what he says. That's a testimony of your Savior. He teaches us in obedience. If you never want me to abandon you or leave you, then learn to do what I tell you. My Father never leaves me because I always obey what he says. And so when it comes to the return of the Lord, he's going to come in obedience when the Father sends him to rapture the church. But he could come at any moment. Why? Because it's only in the heart and the mind of the Father. And thirdly, knowledgeable of our responsibilities. Knowledgeable of what we're supposed to be doing as we wait for the return of the Lord. This is not some idle space that God has given us between him coming and him returning. There is no shade of gray. There is no time to do nothing. This is why even in the time the Bible tells us that when they went to the Passover in Jerusalem on that day. Mary and Joseph lost sight of their son Christ. And after a three day walk they said where's the kid? Well, I thought he was holding your hand. He wasn't holding my hand. Well, I saw him back there a little while ago. Where is he? They went back to find him, and they found him teaching in the synagogue. And the key word that Jesus said this, when they said, where were you? What were you doing? He said, it's important for me to be about my father's business. For the Lord, he was always active in doing for God God never gives us an open space, per se, to do just simply idle. There may be a time of rest, but even in your rest, you're still meditating on his return and what you're going to do once you return back to the field. You've heard me say from this pulpit every now and then how I romance the idea of retiring. I've been at this thing for close to 40 years. But I said, I just love to romance the idea. It'll never happen. As much as I want, 
I'll never get the privilege that many of you have in your jobs. I've been here 20 years, man. I'm out. I'm retiring, retiring my pension, and that's it. I'm going to go fishing. It's not that way when you're called to the Lord. The Lord will call me from right here. And I've settled with that. But there's never an idle time when it comes to God. And one of those things that we've learned concerning the knowledge of His coming and the things that we're supposed to be regarding our responsibilities is to always maintain ourselves empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember we spoke about that? To remain empowered that is one of our greatest responsibility there is no waiting without the empowerment of the holy spirit there is no ability to wait for god unless you are wooed to continue by the presence of the holy spirit in your life this is why it's so important for us and we spoke about his importance last week To always be in communication, to always be in conversation with him, to always depend on his leading. His responsibility to us, ladies and gentlemen, is to give him glory on a daily basis. To help us how to love him, how to live for him, how to walk with him. This is why the moment you lose sight of him, you lose sight of direction altogether. There is only one person in this world today that knows the way to heaven. How many of us want to go to heaven? Some of you don't, I guess. I said, how many of us want to go to heaven? The Lord is watching you. Not going to worry about you. Like, it should be an, an, you should know, Pastor. No, 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 I don't. How many want to go to heaven? By the enthusiasm I see raising your hands, I can tell that some of you are kind of half decided. But there's only one who can get you there. And that's the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that's been given the roadmap into the corridors of his glory. When was the last time you built yourself up in the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you let God move according to his spirit? Ah, so much to learn. We could stay here for the rest of my tenure with you. But these are the responsibilities that we have in the Lord as we wait to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Learn to read your word. Let the Spirit of the Lord feed you. Learn to pray. Take time praying. Not that 30-second prayer, 15-second prayer for your meal. But kneel down and begin to converse with him. Say, empower me, help me, strengthen me, encourage me, probe me. I don't care what it is. Push me into the presence of the Lord. That's what we should be doing in the midst. And the second thing we're going to get to this morning, we're going to speak a lot about it. I really prayed about whether I should do this or not. Because I don't know how many of you will understand, how many of you will embrace this. Or, but it's been dropped in my spirit for a while now, and I, I have to let you know. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. And as you open that, put your hand over your heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that these words that you have given my heart to share with your people, Lord, would go so far beyond me, Father, my own desire to explain. But I surrender this to you, Father. By your Holy Spirit, you would teach your children as only you can.
And help them to understand the seriousness of your heart. Of how you really feel about things that we so many times consider trivial. Those things that sometimes we say, well, he's just recommending. But Father, help us today to wake up to the fact that they are serious things to you, Lord. That you have taken time, Lord, to adjust judgment, Lord, to those that don't do this. Help us to understand. Help us not to be afraid of you, Lord, as you were some God that is a villain and always out to hurt us. But help us to understand how serious a God you are. These things I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 1 verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority. We've been conversing about this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Here comes the second responsibility for this morning. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus has just ascended to the right hand of the Father. They had a conversation as to when he was going to return. They understood they would never know until he came. Then they're met by two angelic beings next to them, talking to them concerning the coming and return of the Lord. How confident they should be that he will indeed return. And they are told you are to be empowered. You will be empowered by the Holy Spirit if you're going to make it for this return. But then they are told, and you will be a witness in the same breath. And you will be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Here we have the speaking And the commandment of the great commission. Something very important for us to understand about the great commission. Let me begin with giving us responsibility. When it comes to the great commission. When it comes to doing the work of the Lord. When it comes to the responsibilities that we have in Christ. There were many peoples that followed Jesus. Many. But when it came to the Great Commission, he spoke to his own. He spoke to the church. He spoke to the believers. He spoke to you. He spoke to me. When it came to the work that was to be done, it was all about him and his followers. The whole mission Of saving this world and reaching out to the lost. And to show them and give them the knowledge of the saving power of Jesus Christ. Was yours and mine alone. Nobody else will never be able to blame anybody else when people go to hell. Because the responsibility of reaching out to the world has been given to you. We brush it off many times. Oh, well, 
If we want people saved, then let the Sunday school teacher go evangelize everybody. Let them bring. It's not my responsibility. I tithe and I give offering and I'm on the worship team. It's the pastor's. It's his responsibility. We brush it off. We brush off the responsibility when it comes to soul winning. But it's not the case at all. This responsibility for soul winning has been given to the church, to us. To those that would carry the message to the world after his departure. And the fact remains even so today that if we fail to push this mission and this plan of God, it will fail. It will fail. Jesus had to concentrate on them to drill his commandments deep in their hearts so that in turn they would turn around once he was gone would do the same thing to every unbeliever around them it's important for us ladies and gentlemen to understand that every single one of us in this house has been called to carry the gospel of Christ every single one Every single one of us from the youngest to the oldest has been given the responsibility to take this glorious message to the world that is lost and doomed to a Christless eternity. 2 Timothy 2 and 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. Matthew 28 and 19. Go ye therefore and teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things whatsoever I have commanded you. And Lord, I'm with you, even to the end of the world. John 20 and 21. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. Acts 1 and 8, we've been reading that, but you shall receive power in the Holy Ghost that has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. And today, ladies and gentlemen, as we have spoken of the return of the Lord, so many Christians, as were the early disciples gazing at the sky, have spent their time looking to heaven. I'm not trying to minimize the knowledge of his coming. I want you to understand me clear. I'm not minimizing one to raise another. Because these are things that we're, we're supposed to multitask in this. We're supposed to look. But there are many in this world who continue to look to heaven. And their hearts are filled with anticipation that they forget to serve the Lord in the process. That they forget the responsibilities as Christians. And the fact of the matter is that we should not spend more time gazing into the sky and speculating when Christ will return more than we should serving the Lord as we wait. Matthew 20, verse 1 and on. Let's read this little story, a parable. Parables are given to us to teach us principles. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. 
About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went and he went out again at noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. That means he found more standing people. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others late in the evening now and still people were just standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? As I read this passage, he finishes off by saying, you also go and work in the vineyard. I wonder sometimes in my prayer time and even in my own, as I introspect my own life, I say, Lord, how many times do you pass by the church? And I'm not talking about Rock of Ages alone. I'm talking about the church on this world or this world that we live in, the plains of this earth. Does Jesus pass by and sees people standing doing nothing? How many times have we asked the Lord to come and Lord, visit us with your presence. And the Lord might say, I want to go, but I hate going over it just to see you standing there. You know, statistically, George Barna writes, and out of the statistics I'm sure have changed because I'm talking about maybe 10 years ago of this knowledge, that only about 15 to 20% of the church do all the work. Only 15%, 20% of the church do all the work in the house and they pay all the bills. What happened to the 80%? I know some of you are hiding your toes under your chair, but that's okay. Bring them out. Let Jesus step on them. Let him wake us up. Only 15, 20% of the church does the work. This is why you see all of my staff. Go do that too. We need to get it done. Oh, I got it. And some of them will walk in the morning. Good morning. Is the coffee ready? Now, I'm not being insultive. I'm being factual. We are the same Bread, we are the same thread. We understand this language, yes? Yeah, we understand that. You said that a time or two about people. Yes, you have. And so he passes by, and I want to be a blessing to you, but man, you're just standing around. As if we need God to come and once again and give us a special invite to the responsibilities we have in Him. How many times have we heard from the pulpits, not only this pulpit, to say, listen, we're needing helpers. They must be talking to you, not to me. We need an evangelistical group to go out and minister to people. I wish I had time. I work too much overtime and I've got other things to do. And when Jesus comes, he sees us simply standing, doing nothing. I've got something to tell you and you'll understand this very simple language. Serving the Lord, in serving the Lord, 
Say it with me. In serving the Lord. Say this nice and loud. There is no unemployment line. There is no unemployment line in serving Christ. Everybody has a job. The Lord has created more jobs than any government. When he died on the cross, he gave everybody a job. Everybody. There's no percentage. There's no trying to work out statistics. I wonder how many jobs he created this year. Or how is his, his uh, portfolio? How does he, how does he administrate the, this nation of ours? There's no checking. Everybody has a job. And so the problem now lies is that maybe not everybody wants a job. But Jesus said, lift your eyes. The fields are white, ready for harvest. Jesus said again, occupy till I return. That responsibility, ladies and gentlemen, is ours. Now, I've got a few more minutes to probably give you a reason not to shout. Hopefully a reason to be thankful you came. But certainly give you information and learning something fresh about God that you may have forgotten. Everybody has heard the story of the fig tree. Yes? Well, maybe not everybody, but those of you who have read or seen or you've heard the fig tree. Let's, let's read about that. There's a great lesson on fruitfulness in the parable of the, or the testimony of the fig tree. Mark 11 and 12. If you have your Bible, go there. If not, we have a big screen for you. If you don't have a Bible, buy one. Mark 11 and 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went in to find out if it had any fruit. And when he had reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not in season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And who heard him? Who heard him? Who heard him? The church, his disciples. And the world heard him and all of Jerusalem heard him. He put it on radio and the whole world broadcast. And they, no, no, no. Who heard him? He spoke to the church. And the church saw and heard what he said. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple court to begin driving out those who were buying and selling there. And then we have hence the story of how he overturned the chairs of the marketers at the church. But I have a couple of questions for you this morning as I continue. Why did Jesus destroy the fig tree? Why did he speak against that fig tree that it died that it 
was no longer of any use for anyone. Now some would say, I have no idea. It's out of character for Christ. Everything about him is life and productivity, excellence and moving forward. Prosperity. How is it possible that out of his mouth he would say, and of you may no one else ever eat. And it died. They later passed by to find that it was withered away and it died. What a tremendous story that I'm sure many of us have read over, but we gloss over it as if it was some little entertainment time for you. But there's a great lesson to learn for us, the church, on how the Lord works concerning soul winning. It's out of character. Such destruction is contrary to the character of Christ to lash out to the tree, even when we're told that it's not even time for figs. The audacity. I'll never serve a Christ like that, some say. I'll never serve a, a Jesus who, who will speak against a fig tree that, that man, we're even told that, that it wasn't even time for them to have that. And he's so inconsiderate. I'll never serve the Jesus of Rock of Ages. It's out of character. And that's because we forget one thing. And that's foolishness when we talk like that. Something about the character of God that many of us forget because we've come to church to be blessed, to be prospered, to be prayed for and healed. We come to be excelled. We come to be lifted up. But something that the church has forgotten about God is that not only is God good, but he is severe. You see, it's not good practice anymore to preach the full gospel. It's not good practice anymore in many places to preach the complete character of God to this generation. You'll never be voted as the nice guy if you say something that's contrary to the character we have in our minds concerning this Lord that we love and bless on. He's supposed to come and give us what we need. Ask of me and I will respond to you. I'll give you those things you desire. You have not because you ask not. All these things is what we want to hear about the Lord. You'll never be voted a nice pastor or a nice guy if you preach the full character of God. Tell me blessings the people cry. How much he loves me. How much he wants me. How much he wants to please me and give me abundant living. That is the Christ that I want to serve. Isn't God good? And the answer to that is yes. He's wonderful. Hallelujah. He does want to bless you. He does want to prosper you. He does want to heal you. He does want to bring you up and take you out. But just like the Lord is good, the Lord is righteous. Romans 11 and 20. We need to rehearse these passages time and time again. Romans 11 and 20. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. 
Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For God did not spare the natural branches, and he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you. Listen to this. Provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, read it in concert. What does it say? Otherwise. You also will be cut off. Wow. Wow. It's a powerful thing to know about the Lord, huh? You think we could go into another worship song right now and just love on him freely? And really rejoice in the fact that he does want to love you and bless you. But to know that God is also just. You see, this is why the world runs rampant today. This is why some of the people that envelop themselves in something called church run lives away from the will of God. Because they forget the second characteristic of God. They think he is some God that will wink an eye to the sinner and go like, don't worry about it, it's no big deal. Or that he forgets somehow our responsibilities to him to live lives worthy of the calling. Exodus chapter 34 verse 6. Let's read that. I want you to read this. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord and the Lord. Uh, the Lord, uh, the compassionate, glorious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to a thousand and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet, beware when the Bible says yet. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. You know, we, as thoughtlessly we say things as, as people, we, we come up with certain adages. And you've heard the saying, you know, what goes around comes around, right? And anybody ever used it? I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm not, I didn't invent that, but I'm sure you use it. When they do something, uh, really? Well, I'll tell you what, what, what goes around comes around. As you go, don't look at me faster. No, no, it's just true. Right? But you say that to bring fear, right? So, what, is, what did you tell? Oh, really? <laughs> Listen, buddy. What goes around comes around. As if that is... Oh, I don't want to get that. I right, forgive me, man. But what goes around comes around. As flippant and unthoughtful that statement is, it's a fact. You see, there is a law that God had written down and wrote down, and it's the law of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. Sometimes we wonder, why isn't God blessing me? Why? It's sowing and reaping. It doesn't change. Well, you know, we're financially distraught, and, you know, we just, you know, I don't know why God doesn't help me win the lottery, man. You know, 
Sowing is reaping. Are you a tither? Are you a giver? Are you generous? Are you? You see, sowing, reaping. What you sow, you'll reap. What goes around? But here it's talking about the will of God. It's not talking about somebody gossiping about you or some situation you got into with somebody and you threaten him with what goes around, comes around. This is the Lord saying, listen, you will receive in return what you put out. And trust me, the moment will come sooner or later where we're going to have to face the ill doings we've done. I had a man say one time to me, and it was comical to him. I didn't laugh too much, though I wanted to. But he said, you know, Pastor, you believe in eternal life? I said, yes, I do. I said, I do. I do believe in eternal life. He goes, on this earth? I said, no, not on this earth. When this life is over, I expect to live in glory forever. He said, well, I expect to live in this life forever, in this body. Really? Yeah. If the saying is true, you never leave until you pay what you owe. I'm in a very indebted man. It'll take me a couple of lifetimes before I pay everybody back for what I've done. He said it as a joke. Todos pagan la que deben. ¿Verdad que sí? Para cuando tú pagues, hermano, vas a tener como 600 años. Las que debes. Este hombre vive ya mil años. ¿Por qué? Porque tanto sí debe, nunca se va a morir. And it's a comical thing. But the fact remains that the Lord is a perfect record keeper. See, God is, again, a loving and wonderful God, but he's also a righteous God. And in this picture of this fig tree is a very powerful picture concerning how he feels about us not doing what he desires for us to do. Did you know that the Lord punishes unfruitfulness? You're going to learn. And that's what we're learning right now. In the destruction of the fig tree, Jesus is teaching men or mankind, his followers, the much needed lessons that says to us all, be fruitful. Be on guard of unfruitfulness because if you are unfruitful you are out of my character we had a wonderful service with our young people last night I was privileged to be given the opportunity to speak to our young adults and I spoke to them out of the book of Mark when they bound Jesus up and I spoke to them about binding Christ I said one of the saddest things and I know it's impossible to believe that Jesus would be held bound where he couldn't do anything. And the Bible says that they bound him and they led him out. They took him even where he didn't want to go. They led him. Can we do that to Christ? And the fact remains, yes, especially when it comes to fruit bearing. You see, John 3.16 is something the Lord has in his heart engraved and very present. For God so loved the world. And when you and I Ignore the responsibility of being fruitful for God. You are binding the hand of God from fulfilling his desire for this world. 
I knew it wasn't going to be a shout me out Christian uh, uh, message. Ago. I, I know you wouldn't be saying amen too loud, but it's a fact. When you fail to be fruitful and produce for Christ, you bind the hands of his desire for the plans of this world, this heart of mankind. Let's look at this a little bit closer. Let me move quicker. We've got a few minutes. Let's ask ourselves the question, what was it that led Christ to the fig tree in the first place? If you go to scripture in Mark chapter 11, verse 12, you'll find the Bible tells us that he was hungry. So the first thing we can learn is that what led Jesus out of Bethany that day is that he had a need. He had a need. He had spent the night in Bethany. Matthew says about this. He's walking into Jerusalem, and in the morning, it was early, probably before anybody else got up. He must have spent his whole night praying. He was on his way now. These were the last days of his life almost. He had been up praying for some time, and now he needed to be spiritually prepared for the next task at hand. So he needed to neutrify himself. He needed to ingest some protein, some good vitamins for his body. He was weak after the night of praying. He got up and he was hungry. He had a need. He needed that special strength to do and to work out his final week upon this earth. And so he desires to eat. Now, when you think about this, ladies and gentlemen, you, you might ask yourself, uh, what could a God that has everything have desire of? I mean, he is the owner of a cattle of a thousand hills. I mean, the throne is his, I mean, the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. What can you give? Some of us have trouble uh, giving gifts to certain people because you know they have everything. Right? You know? Oh, what are you going to give? Oh, you know, he, he makes a lot more than I do. I don't know what I could give him. It'd probably be a cheap gift I'd give him. Because he has the best or they have the best already. What can we give them? And so can you imagine trying to gift God something? To come to him and say, Lord, I give you this precious pearl. Oh, I have a mountain of those right there. But what could you give him? Well, the Bible says that the Lord is craving of something he does not have. There's something that God does not have. And you know what that is? Is the hearts of men in this world. That is one thing he most desires, yet he does not possess. Outside of these walls of this sanctuary are millions of people whose heart do not belong to him. His greatest desire, his greatest hunger, if we were to describe it in any way in the life of Christ, was that he is hungry for the souls of men. This is the hunger of the Lord. This is the very purpose of his existence. He came to save the lost. He came, the Bible says, according to John 10 and 10, he came that all men might have life and life to the fullest. That's his desire. And because of that, 
He multiplied himself in the church. He developed a church of willing and obedient people like you and I. He said, I know that these people will love me as I've saved them. They will go out and help me fulfill the desire of my heart. John 15 and 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much good fruit. I'm talking about you. Luke 19 and 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Romans 6 and 21, what fruit had ye then in those things thereof you are now ashamed of? He goes on down the last part of this particular verse in verse 22. You have fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. All everything is about producing and production. It's about fulfilling the desire of the Lord. So what drew Christ To that fig tree that day. Where that fig tree met its demise. That Jesus had a need. If Jesus had that need. Would he be satisfied here at Rock of Ages? Would he be fed? The second thing. Let me move faster. That drew Christ to that fig tree. Is that he saw potential. Listen to Mark 12 again, 11, 12. The next day as he was, they were leaving uh, Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance the fig tree and leaf. You know what he saw? He saw a beautiful fig tree. He saw a beautiful fig tree, obviously full of sap in its veins. It saw it dressed up and beautiful. He saw great potential. That's got to be a good tree. I'm gonna, I know that what I'm hungry for, if I go to that fig tree, I know I will find what I need. And it was a really loud tree because the Bible says he saw it at a distance. He saw that tree at a distance. He goes, wow, I'm hungry. Where do I? Oh, look at that. And he sees a beautiful fig tree absolutely dwarfing the rest of the trees around him. He saw it specifically. It was so full of foliage in spite of it being early to have any fruit. Now, it's important to note, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm not a, in any way a farmer or know anything or too much about fig trees, but I do know and I've read this, that fig trees normally produce the fruit first before the leaves. Though they have little leaves, they have leaf buds. But they produce a full fig, but they'll have little leaves. They'll never have a big leaf and then produce fruit. That's what I understand. So he sees a tree that's full of leaves and he goes up there. And he's expectant, I'm sure. Guys, let's go over here. I know that there's plenty for us over here. That tree is demonstrating that it's full of life. It may have fruit, I'm sure, even if it's not fully ripe, but I know it's absolutely full. It's certainly showing great potential, a fruitful appearance. But what happened when he got there? 
It was a deceptive tree. It was a deceptive tree. It was a pretentious tree full of foliage and nothing more. It was full of fluff. It had all the beautiful markings of being a good tree. But there was nothing edible, nothing good about it, nothing nutritious about that particular tree. Jesus was attracted by the testimony it was given. It was full. It was flaunting in the wind, looking beautiful. But what he found when he grew close, got close to that tree, was hypocrisy. I'm going to finish this. If you guys have to go, some of you may have to go. But I'm going to finish this today. If you've got time for the Word of God, it'll be another 15 minutes or so. But he found hypocrisy. Jesus went and saw the tree. It was all dressed up looking like it was full of life. A beautiful tree that was decorated in leaves as if it was ready to provide anything to a hungry soul. It was had all the marks. People would pass by and they would attract it to them as if they, if you went there, you were going to be satisfied if you met up with that fig tree. It incited interest and it shouted healthiness. It shouted healthiness. It shouted that it had no worms and it had no bugs on its leaves. There was nothing dead about it. It was beautiful. It was strong. The trunk was thick and the branches were firm. When he got close to it, he saw nothing but fluff. And ladies and gentlemen, so it is with the church at times. So many places you will find that are super loud. And it's an attraction to the world to travel around the world and go find that fig tree that looks like it's full bloom. The leaves are gorgeous. And they profess vitality. They profess life. They profess all these things. To those that are both near and far they, they attract and everyone flocks to them their profession indicates that they've overcome disease and bugs they've sprayed themselves well and now are in full bloom come and yet when they arrive they offer nothing else but leaves Jesus cares, ladies and gentlemen, about our profession. He cares about what we profess with our mouths. The moment you say you're a Christian, you are professing everything Christ believes in. The moment you declare yourself as a child of God, that very statement and your very profession, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me carefully. This has to be important to you. It has to. Your profession demands fruit of you. It demands it. When someone says, I'm a teacher, you must be able to teach. When someone says, I'm a good father, you must be able to produce good fathership. When you profess to be a pastor, you have to be able to teach people the truth of Christ.
you declare yourself a Christian, that demands fruitfulness from your life. If there is no fruit and all profession, then what good are you? What good are you to the kingdom? It may well, as we see in this fig tree, according to Christ himself, not exist. If the Lord would have found something useful for that tree, he would have left it alone. But he said, no, you are no use to me. No one's going to be blessed by you. No one is going to feed off of you. No one is going to find salvation from you. No one is going to be able to be nutritioned by you. Matthew 5 and 13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. That's exactly what happened to the fig tree. You see the seriousness by which Christ looks at unfruitfulness. The seriousness. Matthew 23 and 28, even so, you also, it says, outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you, you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Titus chapter 1 verse 16, having a form of godliness, but they denying the power thereof. You see, we become nothing but whitewashed tombs. This is the problem that the Lord had with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Selenistic Jews, and everyone in Scripture. Those who profess something were not. This is a strong lesson on evangelism, ladies and gentlemen. I've never taught you like this, but it's time for you to mature into this because people are being lost. And this has to do a lot with you and them, certainly, but a lot more with you than you realize. When you profess Christ, it demands fruit. And the danger of professing Christ, ladies and gentlemen, is this last thing I'll give you this morning. It attracts inspection. It attracts this inspection from God. Jesus had to go look at that tree that was making a fuss. Jesus had to go look at the shiniest tree in the vineyard. To go look at it to see if it was what it was propelling and pushing forward was really indeed the truth. Our profession will attract inspection. The fact that we say we are Christians, that will incite inspection of the Lord. When you say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life, let us learn today that as we profess Christ, we are inviting Christ to inspect us, to look at us, can I tell you something again? That the Lord is more interested in the one who professes him than the one that doesn't. He's more apt to go and inspect those who say, I'm a Christian and I'm a believer, than for an unprofessing unbeliever. He'll first go to the believer. 
James chapter 3 verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Oh, I don't want to make you sad. I want you to grow up. I want God to bless you. I want God to prosper you. I want God to feel free to inspect you at any time. And to find that you're not, not only leaves and a good-looking Christian, but that when he looks at your branches, he sees ripe fruit and a tree worthy to be planted, a tree worthy to be looked at, a tree worthy to be inspected, a tree that he knows that after he is gone from that place, people can come to that tree and find fruit to eat. He will inspect us all. He inspects my own life. What am I doing with my profession in Christ? Malachi 3 and 2 says, But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. Hmm. So we understand this morning, ladies and gentlemen, the seriousness by which God looks at evangelism and our responsibility as we wait for his return. See, there are no excuses to God. God's not expecting you to be some theologian to be able to reach out to somebody and tell them about Jesus. He just wants you to have a thankful heart. And he has no problem with you being a beautiful Christian because that's what he made you. But he cares more about you being beautiful. And when people inspect and look to you, they can find something that will fertilize and neutrify their lives in Christ. Every single one of us in this place have that responsibility. You would never look at evangelism with such severity. Because it's always seemed like from this pulpit what you get is a recommendation. Hey, next Sunday, bring somebody to church. You know, there's a pew. And some other people may try to fill you with guilt Sister, look at all those pews next to you. You should be ashamed of yourself. Go out there and fill those pews. Embarrassing people. They may try everything. And people will walk away saying, well, you know, it's not really my, I'm not really that outspoken, man. You know, I don't really. But we see this morning the seriousness by which Christ looks at evangelism. Jesus still has a need. He's still hungry for the souls of men. To not give him the souls of men is to bind the hands of Christ from fulfilling the desire he has for humanity. You say, well, he's God, I'm not. 
maybe it's just his responsibility alone, then why would he even take time to establish us as a church? Then I guess, again, we don't belong anywhere, do we? There's really no purpose for our existence if God is going to do everything. Why would he need somebody like me to speak his word or to tell you about it? I'm worthless. I'm meaningless to be standing up here. Why is every pastor across the plains of this earth preaching the gospel? If God is God, he could do it by himself. No, but it's not that way at all. Why would he have you? Why would we have teachers in the church if they're not the ones that are supposed to be bringing the souls in? No, no, no. Then why are you here? To what purpose? How do you, how do you come and fill that spot? How do you take ownership of that position? How, what makes your profession valid? I better leave you alone. Stand to your feet. When it comes to the Great Commission, Jesus didn't speak to the world. He didn't speak to millions of people that were standing around him. He spoke to you and me, the believers. And as we profess our knowledge and lordship of the Lord in our lives, just know that that delights the heart of God. Just know that the fact that you're saved today is a beautiful thing for God. He created you beautiful. I'm glad God saved me. Anybody glad for salvation? And the Lord would ask you today, are you saved? And you say, yes, I am. And the Lord would say to you, now what? Well, now nothing. No, 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 no. Now everything. This is where it begins. I've made you beautiful, not only to have leaves. We have such beautiful Christians in this house. As a matter of fact, at work, they probably know you're a Christian. They see you like, wow, this guy, is, he's a Christian guy. That's awesome, man. He handles himself well. But what if they come to you and look at your branches? Will they find something to eat? Will they find the message? Will they find a testimony? And what if the Lord is so intrigued by you and loves you so much that he is incited in his own heart to say, you know what? I'm going to visit with you and I'm going to look at your life because you're beautiful. I've created you that way. Would he come to us and like that tree, raise the branches and say, wow, and say, wait, where are the figs? Oh, we have no figs, man, but don't we look good? Rock of Ages is a fun church, man. We look awesome. We're on social media, and we're having all these really cool things, man. No, 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 I'm looking for figs. Do you have any figs? I have a need. Well, no figs here, but look at my leaves. We wax them daily, look really shine. Don't we look awesome as the wind breezes through us? No, no, where are the figs? I have a need. That's the importance by which Christ looks at evangelism. 
Some of us have friends that we've never told Jesus about. Some of you have employees you've never spoken to about Jesus. Some of you have platforms where you could reach out to people to come to church. And that's okay if they don't want to come here. I'm talking about the kingdom, not my kingdom. I'm not asking you to come make me feel good because those pews are full. I'm asking you to please the heart of God and do what he expects you to do. When you take your place in the kingdom, and I'm done. Thank you so much for your time. When you find your place in the kingdom and you start doing exactly what he called you to do, ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you, you begin to live life to the fullest. That's what we're talking about. You begin to live life truly to the fullest when you begin to do the things God has called you to do. Some of you do a wonderful job already. Keep it up and do even more so. But some of us here have never led anybody to Christ. We've never shared our faith. We've always been afraid, as it were, giving somebody leprosy instead of giving them a fig to feed on and to be neutrified. Think about that. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.